Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. Today we understand so much more of the relationship between the brain and the mind and the relationship between thoughts and feelings. What is astonishing is that through understanding the relationship between thoughts and feelings, we now understand the relationship between the body, which is the feelings, and the brain, which is the thoughts in which the body establishes a memory of feelings, which creates its homeostasis. This homeostasis of the body then defines our comfort and discomfort zones. Finally, in order for our body to remain in its comfort zone of feelings, it demands of the mind to have the same thoughts again and again, in order for the brain to produce the same chemicals and peptides. These chemical and peptides are what direct the cells of the body as to what feelings they should be experiencing. The outcome of all of this is that if we have created a pattern of feeling shame, guilt, and resentment, then our body will demand of our mind to continuously think thoughts that will create the peptides that we feed our body with the emotion that the body now defines as its homeostasis. Thus, Our body will demand of us to continue having thoughts that will spell out self-sabotage so that we maintain our homeostasis of guilt, shame, and self-resentment. Now, my grandmother would say, speak cynically of a doctor of who she was unhappy with, the Yiddish phrase, Erken Akrenk. He knows a sickness. Besides being a pun of words, this saying emphasizes that what makes a doctor a good doctor is that he knows the cure and not that he knows the sickness. So too it is with this lecture. What will define this lecture as a good lecture is not that it understands the sickness, but that it provides the cure. Thus, based upon a teaching of the Rebbe delivered on this Shabbat prior to the fast of Tisha B'Av in 1969, exploring the mystical difference between the destructions of the first temple in the year 423 BCE and the second temple 69 BCE, and how we are to bring the building of the third temple, we will understand the practical path of how to overcome our habitual self-sabotaging. Isaiah tells the children of Israel, following the destruction of the Holy Temple and the exile it brought, Zion shall be redeemed through justice and her exile through righteousness. Our sages explain the verse to be saying that the redemption shall be brought about through the righteousness of God, meaning by the grace of God, which is infinite. However, why then does the verse also say that the redemption shall be through judgment, which is finite, by definition, set with boundaries? The sages explain that the verse speaks of two categories of people, Zion and her exile. Zion refers to the righteous who study Torah, whom by them the redemption shall be an act of earned justice, while for her exile the redemption will be by the righteousness of God, God's grace. What is the deeper meaning behind this? Okay, now for the list of mystical introductions we need to first explore in order to understand this lecture. One, the two halves of God's name and their letter Hey. Two, the difference between the two holy temples and their destructions. Three, 
the difference between the first four books of Moses and Deuteronomy. Four, the difference between Torah study and law. And finally, fifth, physical spirituality versus spiritual spirituality. And let the amazement of Hasidus begin. The verse in Deuteronomy states, The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things apply to us and to our children. The Holy Zohar explains the two parts of this verse, the hidden and the revealed, to be referring to the two halves of God's name, ineffable tetragrammaton. The hidden refers to the first two letters, the Yud and the He, which in themselves form a name of God. And the revealed refers to the last two letters, the Vav, Hey. Later on, we will see how this verse concerning the two halves of God's name, the hidden and the revealed, manifest themselves in two forms of service to God. However, presently we will focus on what they each mean in the Sefirot, divine emanations. The ineffable tetragrammaton contains within its four letters the ten emanations, only that they are listed a bit differently than the way we usually list them. The reason for the difference is a Kabbalistic rule concerning the Ten Emanations, which reads, in the place where Keter, crown, is counted, knowledge isn't counted, and in the place where Dat, knowledge, is counted, Keter, the crown, isn't counted. The reason for this is well explained in Hasidus, but is beyond the scope of this lecture. Let us just suffice by saying that in the ineffable tetragrammaton, the thorn of the Yud, referring to the top left crown of the Yud, as she is written in the Torah, the Tefillin, and the Mezuzot, refers to Keter, crown. And thus, within the four letters, we will have only the nine emanations of wisdom, understanding, Za, which literally means small faces, which refer to the six male emotions, and kingship, the feminine mystique. The yud he is wisdom yud and understanding he, while the vav he is za, the vav, and kingship, the he. Let us better understand this and thus why the yud he is hidden and why the vav he is revealed. The deeper meaning behind separating the name of God into two categories is the defining of the two unities that take place within God's name. The unity between the intellects, wisdom and understanding, and the unity between the emotions, za and kingship. It is only through these two forms of unity that the life force of divinity flows into the world. The unity of intellects, called in Kabbalah and Hasidus as the unity of father and mother, provides the life force of divinity to the emotions. And the unity of emotions, called in Kabbalah and Hasidus as the unity of male and female, provides the life force of divinity to the world. Being that the world, which was created in seven days, was created of the divinity of the seven emotions, thus the intellects and their unity is that of a transcendence, which is hidden to the world, while the emotions and their unity is that of the tangible permeating and is revealed to the world. 
This is the Zohar's deeper meaning of the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things apply to us and to our children forever. Thus, before we move on, we are now clear that the difference between the first hay, the hidden of God's name, is the receiving emanation of understanding, while the second hay, the revealed of God's name, is the receiving emanation of kingship. We are also clear that the world's life force sustenance of divinity flows through God's name when the two unities are working properly, with wisdom giving to understanding and with zah giving to kingship. Our sages extrapolate upon the verse, Ascend the mountain, bring wood, and build the house, and I will accept it, and I will be honored, said God. That in the second holy temple there was missing five objects, amongst which were the holy ark and the Urim Vetumim of the high priest's breastplate. They extrapolate this from the way the Hebrew word for I will be honored, the Echabda, is written, in which the last letter, He, is missing. The letter He is the fifth letter of the alphabet, carrying the numerical value 5. Thus the missing letter He in the verse is teaching us that there were five objects missing in the second holy temple. Let us understand this from the perspective of our previous introduction. The holy temple, serving as the house of God, is where the ineffable tetragrammaton, its unities, and its life force of divinity flows to the world through. In the first holy temple, there was the presence of the hidden yud and its unity. The destruction of the first holy temple was precisely the disunity between the Yud and the He, in which the inner dimension of the life force of divinity, beyond the external unity creating the external life force of Mother Nature, was no more flowing into the emotions and thus was not flowing into the world anymore. When the second holy temple was built, the higher flow of the higher unity of the hidden yud hay was not restored. The higher hay understanding was missing in the second holy temple. What was present in the second holy temple was only the lower unity in which Zah was united and flowing into the lower hay, kingship. The destruction of the second holy temple was the disunity of the revealed vav through which the world was now lacking even this lower state of normalcy through the flow of the lower emotion emanations, life force of divinity. This week, as in every year, on the Shabbat before Tisha B'av, the day in which both holy temples were destroyed, we read the opening portion of the book of Deuteronomy. There is a clear difference between the book of Deuteronomy and the previous four books of Moses, and you can see it in its very first verse. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel. Never before this verse has the Torah ever presented what Moses said to the children of Israel as his words, which Moses spoke. Rather, the verse was always clear that Moses was giving over the words of God. Thus our sages teach us, Moses uttered them in his own name, to which Tosvot clarifies that it was spoken with Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, prophecy. Now the Torah clearly tells us that there was no prophet like Moses, and there never will be. And Maimonides explains in detail the difference between the level of divine revelation 
that differs between the prophecy of Moses and the prophecy of all other prophets. Nevertheless, the book of Deuteronomy was only a prophecy of Moses. What were the first four books of Moses, if not a prophecy of Moses? Nachmanides, in his introduction to his commentary on the Torah, explains that the first four books of Moses are written in third party, speaking of two others, such as, and God spoke to Moses. Kabbalistic speaking, this refers to the revelation of the essence of the infinite light, which is higher than the two other lights that of the encompassing infinite circular light and that of the permeating finite linear light. Practically speaking, our sages refer to it as, and I quote, Shechina, God, spoke through the throat of Moses. Let us bring this back to the perspective of our lecture. The divine revelation which flows through the first four books of Moses is as the flow of the higher unity, that of the yud while the divine revelation which flows through, the, through, through Deuteronomy is as the flow of the lower unity, that of the vav However, there is something amazingly unique in Deuteronomy which does not exist in the first four books of Moses, which is the power of law. Deuteronomy is called Mishneh Torah, in which Moses, in the last 37 days of his life, reviews and clarifies the laws of the Torah. In some instances, Moses adds and clarifies untold details of the commandment, and in some cases, Moses gives completely new commandments. Deuteronomy is the establishment of the bottom line laws in the commandments. To understand what unprecedented divine revelation this brings into Deuteronomy, we will move on to our fourth introduction. There are many different forms of Torah study. And the primary basic reason to study Torah is, quote, know which you are to do and that which you are not to do. However, in this process of study itself, there is the process of understanding the different opinions, their reasons, and the process of elimination. So here is a practical question. If Torah study is the study of the Word of God, then A, all the study of understanding an opinion that at the end is not validated is considered Torah study or not. If at the end this opinion is not validated, then it isn't the Word of God. B. Another part of the question. When we study a question and, it answer, and its answers, in which we now understand that the question was based upon a misunderstanding, is the time and study of the question a misunderstanding Torah study? Thus, we have two teachings to answer these questions. A. Our sages state in the Talmud, These words and these words are the words of the living God, Elohim, the word used for God. B. Second teaching. Our sages, our sages expound upon the verse in Samuel's, And God, the ineffable tetragrammaton name, is with him. And, they explain, thus the law is like him, his opinion. We see here a very clear difference between the divinity expressed in all opinions and questions and between the divinity of the final law. The divinity of all opinions is that of the lower name of God, Elohim, which is that of the two others, as Nachmanides explains. And the divinity of the final law is of the higher name of God, ineffable tetragrammaton, which is that of the third party, which is the persuading judge, drawing conclusion to the different opinions of lower judges. 
let us bring this around to the perspective of our lecture. The two others of the these and these are the words of Elohim of the first four books of Moses is from the emanation of understanding, which is the mother of emotions, which include all opinions of kindness, strictness, and compassion. Deuteronomy and the final law carry within them a most interesting paradox. On the one hand, they are the lower dynamic of kingship, which governs the physical thought, speech, and action aspects of the person. On the other hand, we just explained that the final law, Deuteronomy, connects with and carries within it the highest form of spirituality, that of the ineffable tetragrammaton and beyond. In truth, however, it is no paradox at all that kingship is connected to the greatest heights of the supernal crown, for the crown lies upon the king's head. Thus Deuteronomy, which is the book of the final law, which is the and God's ineffable tetragrammaton is with him, is the supernal crown on the head of the emanation of kingship. This leads us to the conclusive point of this lecture, that ultimately physical spirituality is higher and greater than spiritual spirituality. For while spiritual spirituality is connected to the higher hidden yud understanding, However, it is specifically the lower revealed Vavhe, kingship, that ultimately connects us to the essence of spirituality, the supernal crown. We now see that while the second holy temple was missing five objects, the higher He, because it was only the lower unity of kingship, and the first holy temple was the higher unity of understanding, nevertheless, the destruction of the second holy temple was far more devastating for it created a disunity in our connection through the lower physical spirituality to the ultimate essence spirituality of the supernal crown on the head of kingship. This now leads us directly into the final introduction in which we humanize the entire lecture, defining it into our practical daily service to God. There are two forms of service, that of spiritual spirituality, which is the hidden yud and that of physical spirituality, which is the revealed vav The service of spiritual spirituality is that of the study, concentration, and meditation upon God in order to give birth to the feelings of love and awe of God. The yud represents love of God, and the higher he represents fear of God. The service of physical spirituality is that of the Torah study learning the laws of the commandments and mitzvot observance. The Vav represents Torah study and the second He represents mitzvot observance. Here too, even though the spiritual spirituality of meditations and feelings seem to be higher, it is precisely through the physical spirituality that we connect to the highest of all, the essence of God. With this, we can now return to the verse we started the exploration with, which speaks of Zion being redeemed with justice and her exiled with righteousness. Zion refers to the higher unity of the righteous people gifted with great spiritual spirituality, while the exiled refers to the lower unity of those who serve God with the physical spirituality of mitzvot observance. Thus, it is specifically the exiled of physical spirituality who are connected 
and redeemed with God's righteousness and grace. In closing, let us return to the opening modern issue of this lecture, Overcoming Self-Sabotage. The answer to overcoming self-sabotage is counterintuitive, just as the paradox of physical spirituality is. Yes, it is important to do therapy, to understand, and to work with our feelings. However, the ultimate power of overcoming self-sabotage lies in our gift of physical spirituality, which connects us to the ultimate essence power of our soul. A simple, practical way to look at this is, we each have a white wolf, which is success, and a black wolf, which is self-sabotage. Question, which wolf gets bigger and stronger? Answer, the one that you feed. The actions that we take is what feeds the wolves, not the self-understanding and the meditation. Thus, ultimately, it is only the physical spirituality of simply white-knuckling our way through our guilt, shame, and fear and doing the next right action that will free us of the mind-body loop of self-sabotage, allow us to fully be who we are and to reach the fulfillment of our potential and the success it brings. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here, at the platform of the Jewish mind, is where modernity meets Judaism. <laughs>